In this episode, we have Eli Wild, the number one salesperson for Tony Robbins with over nine figures in coaching sales. And in this episode, we break down exactly how you should structure and frame a sales pitch, whether you're doing it over the phone, in person, or on stage in front of many different people. We break down some of the most interesting lessons that he learned working with Tony Robbins for over 10 years doing two shows a day and on top of that, some of the biggest mistakes he sees people make when they're selling from stage. Tell me what is one decision that you've made that has made all other decisions in your business easier? I would say something, but the camera's already rolling. I don't necessarily want to sell the business, but I realized if it's built on me, that is a cap and a limitation. So now it's about building systems. Many business owners are managing their own companies when they could establish their own additional company that's called a management company. To me, it's just about building systems so the business is fully automated, and then it frees me up to A, think bigger and build teams around it, and B, um, start doing th more things that I enjoy younger. Eli, I ask everybody the exact same question when they come on here first. What was one of the simplest decisions or things you put in place in your business that made everything else easier? Consistency. And I know that's kind of a, a loaded general answer, but morning routine, end of day routine, and just consistency throughout my day to check in where I'm at emotionally, mentally checking in with the team. And so those are the things that we're doing that are working well now as far as in this business when I was on the road with Tony, it was just mindset, all the different Tony stuff. And I asked him a bajillion questions if we can get into that on things that he did before presentations or any time that there was an opportunity to be of influence. It's consistency around what I needed to do to my mental, emotional state to make sure that I could be that channel. Interesting. And I love what you just said, opportunity to influence, which I don't think I've heard anybody say it like that. But before I dive in that, it was kind of interesting that obviously I get a lot of things here, delegation and like hiring and, and ads and marketing. But you said beginning of your day and end of your day. And, and typically okay. when I hear stuff like that, or whenever I hear that answer, it's usually that somebody was doing something, let's just say, I won't say right or wrong, differently. And then there was a catalyst and then they changed it to be where they're at right now. So was your previously, was your morning routine, your nighttime routine, like a little bit wonky and you saw that bleeding over in your business? Like, what did that look like? Well, you know, Tony's been a mentor for years and I ask him all these questions about what he would do. And, you know, after a couple of years working for him, I live with his son, Jarek, and then his brother-in-law, Scott, um, who Coles knows really well, is working with. And I had all these questions that I wanted to ask about Tony where I got stuck in my day, in my life, where I got a rejection or something didn't go my way. And I'd be like, well, what should I say? What's the tactic of the thing that I should do? Can you ask Tony? And his answer was always something mental and emotional to provide the right internal resource to create that. Because we've all had times in our life where you're in a state of mind and emotion where you feel like you can do anything. And then you have times where you feel like you can't even spell your own name. You're like in a dumb state or something's overwhelmed you. So it was really about accessing the resources within you. And when we think about it tactically, like people are here to learn, like, what do I actually do? But I often think about it, true creativity, the first person to actually do a thing didn't have the book or the process, but they figured it out. So there was a vision, there was a state, there was a commitment, there was something inside of them that put them in a place to figure things out. And 
coming from that place, we don't want to reinvent the wheel so I can learn from people and find those patterns. But a lot of it's patterns within our own psychology that make us our most effective. So what were some of those that you noticed for you, at least or in the, in the morning or in the nighttime routines? You know, being on the road, I travel 50 weeks a year for Tony, yeah. averaging two seminars a day. For, for like 10 years. Yeah. That's what I was, you told me that beforehand. Yeah. You kind of casually said you're doing two, two seminars a day for 10 years. And I was like, Oh my God, like yeah, I, I, that's that's a lot. I did about 3,400 for Tony alone. Oh my but God. I was doing countless others on the side. So I've done well over 4,000. And you don't always have time. You know, you're driving somewhere, something kind of throws you off. You don't have time to do this elaborate morning routine, coffee, cold plunges, like all the stuff. And that's great. But you need to be able to anchor yourself. Just like you hear a song, you think about your high school dance, you smell a cologne, you think of your father, something like that. How do we condition ourselves to be in a state? So it could be something you say to yourself, a trigger, something unique to be able to turn ourselves on. Tony has his whole affirmation and he spins around and all that stuff before he goes on stage. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't, no, no. It's fascinating. And just, just, so, just for clarity, uh, Tony, you said Tony a bunch here, is Tony, Tony, Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yeah, yeah, just so everyone here knows. Yeah. And I'm sure everybody knows who Tony Robbins is. And you were his one of his number one salespeople uh, when you worked for him, over nine figures in sales and coaching, yeah. which is unbelievable. But I haven't, I have not heard of like the spin around. What is the like anchor thing that he does? He does this thing to turn himself on. So he'll do, you know, rebounding all these things, but um, it's cool when you actually see an impressive. You're backstage with him. He'll spin around you like a 360, and he's such a huge guy. Yeah. And you see him like do this, like almost like a Michael Jackson spin, <laughs> and pump himself up, and he'll and he'll do his like affirmation and punch himself in the chest, and then he then he goes. Wow. So it's something to just condition yourself to be in a state because you don't always feel like it, you know. And so you have to have something to anchor you to to bypass those feelings. What's one of those for you if you when you go on stage? Is it like? For me, it was affirmation things I would say to myself. Okay. But I, often I'd be like in my head. And so I would do squats, do push ups, I go to the bathroom. But I made sure I did something to get in my body, not just in my head. Hmm. And when I'm speaking, you know, like, you know, and you've spoken on stage, a lot of times we're speaking, the energy's starting to rise and we're talking. And da -da -da -da, it's like the energy's starting to go up and we're not grounded anymore. And so even when I'm speaking, I can feel when that's there, when the cadence is going a little too fast or I'm not connecting. And so I would tap myself like around right over my belt buckle. In martial arts, there's like the lower Dantian, oh, you know, it's kind of this thing. Yeah. And so I've done it so many times, just triggering that I can tap myself there and it brings my voice and my energy back into my body. It's so interesting to me. I'm very excited for this podcast because in all transparency, I've never done any kind of sales coaching ever. Oh. I've never done any kind of speaking coaching. I've never done any communications like training or speaking from stage or selling from stage. I've just done it, yeah. right? And I'm always so curious when I see somebody who takes something that I just do like I don't want to use the word willy-nilly, but it's just like I go out there and do it. And, you know, mm -hmm. I have decent results and I, I like to think our content's good. But then to hear somebody like you who has, like, dedicated a good part of their life towards mastering that art, specifically public speaking, I, I find so fascinating. So I know you've worked with some unbelievable brands selling, like, tens of millions of dollars from stage. I want to kind of go deep in this podcast around speaking on stage, selling mm -hmm. on stage, um, and, you know, this will go into, obviously, I'm sure, well, that's the first question. Selling from stage, selling on the phone, selling in person, mm -hmm. are there huge differences in all of them? Are there subtle differences? And let's say uh, someone's uh, listening to this and they don't sell on stage and they're not planning on to anytime recently, are there things there that they can also bleed over into either sh like creating content or selling on the phone or selling in person? Yeah, 100%. With speaking on stage, um, you need to be more prepared 
like like almost like a performance in what you say. And there's a benefit there because you have more control. I remember I did an event with Jordan Belfort. Uh, he's like Wolf of Wall Street guy a few years ago. And I outsold him. And before I went on stage, somebody asked me, they said, Eli, are you nervous? And I thought to myself for a minute, I was like, nervous? I, I was like, no. And I, I said to myself, if anybody in the room's nervous, it should be everybody there. It was about 1,200 people. I was like, they should be nervous than anybody is. I'm the only one here that knows what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm the only one that knows. Yeah. And when you have a situation that could come up and things could come up in a room or in a sales call, you need to be prepared for what could happen in all the situations. Somebody could be resistant or you could get a heckler, you know, whatever it is on a sales call, they could be really like trying to stay surface, not connecting with you, giving you really um, combative answers. So you can train for those situations. And I think with a sales call, because it's a two-way dialogue, not a presentation, you have less control in some ways. So you need to be able to effectively deal with that. But with a presentation, like if you have a really generic presentation, like a slideshow, you know, you you need to be able to just present effectively. However, it's it's phenomenal when somebody, like if you look at a, a president of the United States, maybe, maybe not, not all presidents, but most <laughs> presidents, they don't use slideshows. Uh, some should, but some of them are just like really effective and they don't use slides or any of that. Tony Robbins like hardly ever used to use any slides because it was just about connecting. And so you have to have mastery in your ability to connect. And I was fascinated. So when I worked for Tony, we all had the same script, same presentation, selling the same price point, same product, same, same everything to the same target market. But my sales were three to five times everybody else's and I worked half as much. And this is selling from stage? Yep. But then even on the phone, why is it that two salespeople can get the same lead, same script, same words, same product, same everything, and get such different results. Some of it's certainty and how we connect, our ability to communicate. And I think there is a bit more art to it. When you speak, you provide so much value. And that's how you're able to, to sell people. There's a demonstration that you know what you're talking about. But when I would speak at multi-speaker events, I'd be selling against other professional speakers who really had no value. And they weren't presenting anything, but they were really good at selling and they'd kick my butt. And I was like, what are these people doing? They didn't demonstrate any value, but they told really effective stories. Mm. And we began to reverse engineer the process of how people actually make decisions. And at some point you should go to a Tony Robbins event because he's masterful. It's like 40 hours over a weekend. And just to see this guy, like it's, it's phenomenal. But we of course want people to take some action. But I realized early in my career that all actions are preceded by thoughts and feelings. And so I can't just say, hey, you got to take action, take action, take action. I thought to myself, if I get them thinking what I want and feeling the things that I want, those are the prerequisites to action. So what thoughts, feelings, beliefs do we need to install in them through stories, through the content that gets them to shift their perspective that puts them in this, this buying state? Because we've all had times in our life where we went to a store, we needed to buy something, but we didn't. And then you've had times where you didn't want to buy something, you couldn't afford a thing, but people bought it anyway. And so the state of mind and emotion that we're in, that we put the prospects in or the audience in is more important than what we say. And that's why two people can say the same thing, but they have a different impact. And are you putting people in this state either through value or through a story, or is it always through a story, or is it a combination of both? Like, how do you proceed this ask, this action? How do you put them in that state that you were talking about? Storytelling is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of NLP that goes into it effectively, embedded commands, you know, all these changing associations, but really getting clear on what do they need to believe about time, about money, 
And so having content, and so there's some content pieces, even if you look at Russell Brunson's perfect webinar, yeah. it just attacks the false beliefs that relate to the vehicle, the internal, the external. And I think as it relates to people effectively selling on stage, we break it down to what we call the trust trinity. So people need to trust in you, the speaker. And how do they trust in you? They trust in you through your story, your personal story, and you tell a personal story that gets people connected to you, that builds trust, but also through your style. And it's hard to influence somebody if they're really bored. And so there's a way to communicate with people um, by asking lots of questions, rhetorical questions. So what do I mean by that? So how does that affect us? So they're guiding the content. And when we question our own content with rhetorical questions, the audience doesn't feel the need to. So there's three things you need to know. Why are they three things? Here's why. What are those three things? So whatever questions are in the audience's mind, I'm asking of myself, mm. which makes them not question the content. So we want to make sure, and it's a it's a kind of an NLP mind control technique that basically what we're doing is creating compliance. There's physical compliance. Hey, everybody stand up, write this down. And every time I tell somebody to do something, it's to their benefit. Hey, this is a million dollar tip, write this down. Physical compliance, they're doing what I want them to do. Verbal compliance, if this makes sense, say yes. Oh, come on guys, say yes. Verbal compliance and then mental compliance. Well, here's what you might want to consider. Here's what you might want to think about. Here's something that you've never considered before, but the moment that you begin to really take these thoughts on, they could change everything for you. So are you trying to just stack on this compliance before you make an offer or an yeah. ask? Is that yeah. like that that leads to them? Is that part of that trust? Is them being compliant to what you're saying? It's offering value, but also it's conditioning people. Okay. When I would do my presentations, I could see within the first 10 minutes who I had rapport with, who was connected to me. So I might say something like, you know, here's a million dollar tip, you know, and I say, write this down. And then people grab their pen and they start writing. I say, guys, make sure you write this down. Write this down. And now 10 times I've said, write this down. And every time it's been something valuable to them. And so I've conditioned them about halfway through my presentation. I'd say, oh man, this is really good. And I just raised my hand. I wouldn't say, write this down. And just me going like this, people would already start grabbing their pen. And then at the end, I'd hand out these forms. Make sure you put your first name, your email, because we're going to email you the tickets to the event. Make sure you do this because we're also going to give you some bonuses. Make sure you're really legible with your email. I'm walking them through the order form. And so now it's com commitment and consistency, which Robert Cialdini talks about. And a lot of the behaviors that we all do are unconscious. Whether wow. people go to the refrigerator, they look at their phone, it's unconscious behavior based on how people have been conditioned. And the whole process of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, neuro, nervous system, linguistic language, programming. It's programming people, their nervous system. So I'm not so much you know, concerned all the time just about what people think consciously. It's more what they're thinking unconsciously. How does their nervous system respond to me? And so it's, it's changing it's, the voice, it's movement. And you see Tony, when he does it, there's an energy there. Yeah. And it's kind of overwhelming. And when you're in presence and proximity and there's lights and music and all of that, or, you know, and you, should, you know, we'll do an event together someday, I'm, I'm sure. But you'll see how I engage with people and walk out into the audience. And it's kind of like, well, and I'll, I'll role play with people like I do a sales situation and I'll demonstrate something right there. And I'm like, who else is getting this? And so it's just like Tony does with interventions yeah. where he turns around a suicide. I would do that in my training around sales interventions, like maybe overcome an objection right there. And people are like, whoa. And I'm like, who, who would like to be able to do this in your life, in your calls? And we're like, yes. So I demonstrate, I challenge, and there's a different level of responsiveness where people are fully engaged, not just mentally, but emotionally, because it's like challenging them. It's 
Like I said earlier, it's like nuts because I don't even think or look at any of this stuff, right? Yeah. And I even remember a funny story, which you may not remember this, but the first ever event I hosted that I sold from stage, you were there. Yeah. And I remember uh, Iconic was like, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's like the man when it comes to selling on stage. And I was like three minutes yeah. away from going on stage yeah, for the first that. time ever yeah. to pitch to sell. And I'm like, is there anything I should know? And you're just like, like what we're talking about here, like, and I'm like, yeah. I don't remember any of that. But I ended up going on stage and I sold and that was my first seven figure day. And then I come down and like smiling and you don't, don't, maybe don't remember this. And you're like, yeah, you didn't do anything I told you. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah. yeah, of course I didn't do anything. But it is, what I will say is from that day, that was the first time I'd ever really learned the science behind some of this stuff, which is so um. interesting to hear you break this down. And I'm always like curious, right before we got on the camera, you were telling me how you were helping this client who had done 40 million in the past roughly 20 months. And so like you were doing these small things that were just like very small, subtle changes that mm -hmm. had a huge impact. If I had to take a guess, people listening to this right now, they are probably uh, not on the end of the 40 million in 20 months, but probably closer to the end of a, mil a few million dollars. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're doing their first event or maybe they want to do be a little bit better when it comes to sales or NLP. So what are some like, maybe not micro specific, but like some of the bigger levers that they can pull that you're like, hey, like you need to do, like you kind of talked about that trust uh, triangle a little bit. Or yeah, trust, trust training. It's getting people to trust in you, the speaker. Yeah. Trust in your offer. Okay, that was you and started with the speaker. It's ed edifying your, and it could be case studies or whatever, like proof of your process. But then there's trust in themselves, and the biggest reason somebody won't move forward is because they'll doubt themselves or not trust themselves. Themselves meaning themselves. the the consumer, the client. They yeah. don't believe in themselves. Yeah. What are they not believing in? They they don't believe they can do it. So they believe that Ravi, like you're awesome. I believe you got these results. I believe you're good at what you do. I believe the offer works for people but they don't trust in themselves that they have the capacity to do it, that they don't know if they can find the money, they don't know if they can find the time, they think that they're dumb. They so, think how, that, so how do we overcome this? So yeah, how do we overcome that? Because I, I I agree, I hear that all the time, actually. Yeah. yeah, they're like, oh, that's you, that's not me, right? So how do you overcome that? So a lot of it, so it could be case studies, but here's the thing with your audience that you need to get, first of all. When you're speaking to an audience, generally about 20% of your audience will have a superior mindset, and about 80% will have an inferior mindset. So these are inferior mindset people. So there's a lot that we can do to kind of push them into the buying pocket, if you will. And then there's the 20% of people that are superior mindset. And those are the people that are most likely to buy. We need to be able to effectively communicate with both simultaneously. So you're speaking to generally, I think, of two groups of people. Um, Tony Robbins, like his thing is he really pushes like to the superior people. Like I've worked with all these people. And if you want to be the best, step up and, and here's how I can make the best better. But even inferior people still buy from Tony and they'll buy something because he's connecting with them emotionally. And so a lot of it's in the stories and framing, but you've got to get these people to build their belief. And then these people, you've got to simultaneously push down their belief. So these people here, the superior minded people, they think that they can do it, but they don't need you. And then these other people, they think regardless of how good you are, they can never do it. And so... I guess the, the easiest way is case studies, testimonies. You see all of that, mm -hmm. but it's ways to simplify the process to get people massive pain associated to their own thoughts and feelings. And the way that we do it at our events, we teach something called a gap map. And you've seen this before. Everybody does, not everybody does it effectively, but it's like, where are you? What's possible? What's your vision? And getting them really anchored in that. And then where are you now? Okay, what's the gap? And then the gap you get them to really commit to the gap. And the gap for them is going to be usually internals, 
fear, procrastination, self-doubt. Nobody's going to say, um, everything that's missing for me from getting there is just a marketing funnel. Even though Russell Brunson says that, typically the way that we frame it, we get people to the buy into the fact because of what we're selling. So you always want to have a gap. Even Russell Brunson does this. Tony does this. We present a gap essentially throughout the content. Here's where it's possible for you. Here's the vision you have. Here's where you are. What's in the way? So I get, based on how I frame it, I get people to tell me what's in the way is usually something internal. Fear, procrastination, self-doubt, lack of belief in themselves. If I was Russell Brunson, I would get them sold on the vision of what's possible by all the testimonials, where you get, where you at now, and then I show them how what's in the way is one funnel. They're just one funnel away. So based on how people are framed through the stories, when you ask people what's in the way, what do you need? You get them to buy into the thing that they need is the thing that you're about to sell. Hey guys, really quickly, if you're getting value out of this, please be sure to share it wherever you share things. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, your employees, share it to somebody that you know needs to hear this message. We put an incredible amount of work into these videos and these episodes for you. And all I ask in return is for simply to share it to somebody else that wants to hear that or needs to hear this message. All right, let's get back to it. This is all very helpful and, and I'm definitely learning something as well here. So when you're selling them on, like anchoring them on that uh, gap map, which is kind of a cool, I, I like the name of that. But when you're selling them on that gap map, it's like, is this something physically people are doing at the event? You're like, hey, fill out a piece of paper or just like close your eyes and visualize this? To I ideally write something down. Okay. To do stuff. Like and where you want to, hey, think of where you want to be in the next five years, write that down or something along those lines. Yeah, it could be that. And the more emotion they put into that, the better. And so we all know this sales one-on-one, emotion, people buy off emotion, not logic. And so when you teach a lot of content, a lot of times you'll have these people, these speakers that um, are amazing, brilliant scientists at what they do, but they don't engage the audience. I mean, they demonstrate, people like, that person's amazing, but because they don't evoke that emotion in people and people don't connect with the speaker, they don't buy at the end, or they don't do anything with the content. Where you have other speakers that almost teach nothing, but they just tell all these stories and people are like, I'm going to buy. And they just go crazy. I used to see these people speak at events and it would be like a pitch fest, but they would do like a price drop and there'd be, there'd be a table rush to the back. I'm like, I can't even believe it. But for me, honestly, so I've been to the exact events that you're talking about. Yeah. And I honestly really don't like when it's just like, and this is who I am. I'm there's, not there's uh, both. projecting. There's the, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like where they're just like story, story, story. Nothing's been sold or nothing's been taught. Yeah. And then they just pitch, right? Yeah. And to me, ironically, I know you've been to my event. I index almost on the other side where it's just like, yeah. here's an unbelievable. I mean, at my event, I'm like speaking for three days straight, all value. And then there's just one, one hour of, of pitching. But everything else is pure unbelievable value, if I say so myself. But the thing is, because I've been to other events where it's just like, yeah, this is how I grew up and like, okay, now buy yeah. this, right? So what is that balance? Because I'm sure I could maybe index a little bit more on the story side, especially if I was trying to index more for sales. But like, what is that balance between both of them? So you don't come off as like a sleazy person. That, and I'm not, and I, yeah. I shouldn't say sleazy, but at least in my eyes, like you don't come off like, oh, I just came here to sell and tell a story. And by the same time, you're not like, indexing just for here's all this value. I don't care if you buy from me. You know, it depends. Your offer scaling with systems. So that's kind of a logical thing. People there to scale with systems. And so the brand expectation is that. Yeah. But when you have the majority of people and how they make decisions, when you look at the, the greater world, especially when you have these big events, it's a lot of the emotion, you know? And so you have an avatar, a niche where that's really relevant yeah. and you can teach things. And basically, you know, the... Thing that I used to always say when I'd have a more logical offer, hey, look, it takes a plan. We're going to give you the plan while you're here. 
And it takes a process. So you need a plan and a process. We're going to show you the process. And then the third thing, you need some support along the way. I'm going to overwhelm you with content over these next few days. And there's going to be a time where you realize you can't do all this yourself. Research says that we go further faster with support. And so as you want that support, feel free to reach out to us anytime at the back of the room and we'll show you exactly how we can support you in implementing these eight-figure systems into your business. Do you notice so it? Do you notice that there's a difference in like if you're selling, let's just say we'll delineate on B2B and B2C, business to yeah. consumer. Are you noticing that on the B2B it is more content and logic and on the business to consumer you you can get away more with the storytelling and the emotions? 100%. It's a it's a balance though. I find people, you know, the pendulum swings each way a little bit too much sometimes. And you'll have somebody with a great offer. Like I was just talking about one of my clients, a couple of them, you know, they, they have avatars where it's just people are in really apathetic mindsets. And so we got to do a lot of case studies, a lot of proof elements. And then other people, you know, even a sophisticated market, I don't do a lot of case studies and stuff like that. And one of my friends reached out to me, they're like, hey, you need to do more case studies because I hate that stuff. It's like, you know, even like the worst program can have a couple case studies and testimonials, but it's really effective for the marketing, but I don't do it. You know, it's like, and I've just done this for years. And so it's like obvious to me what people need. And so we just teach them, but I need to, to market a little bit better. So he's like, you need more of that. But I, I think that's, for me, it's like, it, that doesn't sell me either. Cause I'm just, I've kind of gotten, I don't want to say. Yeah, it just, it. it just, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And so I think it depends on market sophistication. But when you have people that are in that, and like your, your people, you, you know, that are more sophisticated, more logical, more successful, you need to actually demonstrate real value to them. Yeah. So there's so there's that. And then you have these other people that no matter how much value and how much you show them, they still don't believe in themselves. So you need to inspire them to wow. take some some action. And the reason people do anything, there's a need to gain pleasure but also avoid pain. And typically, we got to take people through exercises where they associate massive amounts of pain to what they're currently doing to their own thoughts and feelings and identity and behavior so they feel compelled to change. Like putting their hand on a hot stove, they move. And so if we can take people through a process and tell stories where we, you know, in sales, it's kind of like consequence questions, like really getting people associated to the consequences of doing nothing, how we get people to that place where we might tell a personal story of ourselves, where we get vulnerable. And here's the journey that I went through. Now they connected with you and they take that hero's journey with you as you know, when you have really effective storytelling, it's kind of like a hero's journey and you'll have typically a pit moment where there was a sense of loss and they connect with you in that moment and you can pull them in that moment. I could talk about where I didn't believe in myself and people told me that I would never be worth anything. I don't know if, has anybody ever told you that you'd never be worth anything? Has anybody ever told you you're not good enough? Well, there I was. And then I'm, that's called a bounce. And then I pull them back into my story and there's a key moment where I make a decision in my story that is the same decision that I want the audience to make. And so they're going to make that same decision, but they're going to conceptualize it themselves. And we do some things where when I tell stories or you see a Tony Robbins, you know, you're just like, I feel like he was talking just to me. And so you take that journey with him and we want to be able to anchor and seed people to make the same decision that we did, that we were worth it, that we could do more, that we weren't willing to settle anymore. And there's a, there's a whole journey to it. And then it's that, you know, that journey of transformation, not just achievement, and people will take that mission for you, with you and you have that mission-based cause that allows you to create your framework. 
It's funny, the the second part of the story of you talking to me at my event was that I get up there, you tell me beforehand, I didn't listen to anything you said because I was like five minutes from going on stage and I was like, this is going to mess me up. Yeah. I go on stage. Yeah, you want to overwhelm you. Yeah, exactly, which is what you said too. You're like, I don't want to overwhelm you. Yeah. I go on stage, I do it, I come off, you're like, that wasn't right. And I was like, sorry. But then you you told me about the heart close. Yeah. And then I went back, I didn't think of doing a repitch. I'd never even thought of it. Like I said, that was the first event I did. And then you told me to do this heart close and you kind of gave me, I had more time then because uh, I think we had like a 20 minute, 30 minute break. And then, or maybe it was lunch. And then you told me the heart close. And then after lunch, I come back on and I do the repitch. And mm-hmm. I know we extracted another like 100 or 200,000 from the room when we did that there. So mm-hmm. can you walk through a little bit about what is the heart close or what is a repitch for people on here? Because I've actually, yeah. I actually don't see a lot of people doing it. And I know I, if I be- remember correctly, that was one of the things you used to do for other people. Uh, yeah. It's like you would do the repitch or the heart close for other people. Yeah. So I've done hundreds of these, but. Uh, a few years ago at Russell Brunson's event, Myron Golden did a repitch and did $3.8 million extra in 27 minutes to a, to a room that had already been pitched. I saw him do pull a million dollars out of a really tough room. Um, Barry Baumgartner, who does all of Russell's events and Tony's events, their company's called Sage, Strategic Advice for Growing Events. They, you know, structure a lot similar to Icon. I, Icon's friends with her too. And so... You know, I talked, she's a, she's a personal mentor of mine. Myron, I joined his inner circle. He's a personal mentor of mine. So we talked a lot about the science of what they're actually doing. Um, I saw Dean Graziosi do a repitch at Tony's UBW last year, and he pulled like an additional, you know, eight figures out of the room in the last hour of the event. And so a lot of times you have an, an event, say you do a three-day event on day two, you'll have an offer and there's logical people. There's some people that are like buyers in heat. They're just ready. Some people aren't going to buy no matter what. There's about 10, 20% of people going to buy. 10, 20% of people, doesn't matter if you have the cure for cancer. They're just, they're just not going to buy. And then you have that middle 60 to 80% that can go either way. Some are logical, some are emotional. When you make the offer on day one, day two, some people do need a night to process it, to move some things around. Emotional people are going to take it right away. But on the next day, the logical people have processed it. And then there's kind of a, you feel like this is the last chance. And so... In that repitch, typically it's an emotional story. Um, there's a thing that we do, and I got this from Myron, the biggest expenses. So a lot of being interactive with the audience, like what are the biggest expenses in your life? And people will say, you know, uh, kids, house, mortgage, Can car. I guess what you're about to say? What is it? The, uh, the opportunity cost of not doing. The- yeah. So the first one, so he says, well, there's actually two. The uh, I'm going to tell you number two first, and then I'll tell you number one. So it's, a, it's an open loop. Number two is taxes, and none of you had it here. of every dollar, you know, 510,000 every million to go to the government, you know, corporate tax, uh, property tax, death tax, you know, all the taxes like builds up really big. And then the other one is not knowing, not knowing how to make a million. How much money did you leave on the table last year for not knowing what I have to teach you? And so are you willing to waste that money again? Are you willing to, you know, so it's that whole bit and it works really effective. And there's some other ways that you can kind of get people really associated to that. And then you want to have some kind of bonus, not like fast action type bonus thing, but a could be because after this event, everybody that signed up for this inner circle, we're going to a party right now, or you're getting this other, this other thing, but only for the people right now. So also like anybody could get that, that bonus of like, say a course anytime, but the fact that there's a party or something happening after it really puts pressure on people and something really cool has to happen at that thing. 
And so some people will sign up. And then you also have some people that are on the fence. You pull those people out and show them how they can do it at like, say, a thousand bucks down or 2000 bucks down. And so when you hear a lot of these people talk about like eight figure days and weeks and all of that, for a lot of them, they might have a $50,000 offer or a $100,000 offer, but they only took like a $500 down payment. Yeah, trust so, me, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's, yeah, a mar- that's a marketing trick 101. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm just that's like, what I see people do all the time. Yeah, so I, whenever I'm consulting, I'm like, what's the cash collected? Because I don't, I yeah. always say, you know, it's we like- We don't even count revenue. Yeah. Like, yeah, it only matters cash. And I'm like, well, what? And sometimes it's good when people have processes that are really good on getting the money Yeah. once people put down a deposit to follow up like crazy or- make sure that within their program, and we just put this into our sales program, it's like the fastest path to cash. Yeah. And so we got a whole module. I'm like, I want you, like in the next hour, I'm going to just script everything, like post this online, say this, get people online. Here's how you're going to talk to some people, your first sales calls, here's what you're going to do. I want you to make back your investment in this program in the first day. Yep. And people are like, whoa. Yeah. And I'm like, if you do half of this, and it might take you more than a day, it might take you a week, you're going to do it. And so we make sure that once people do come in, the money that they're going to make to pay for the rest of the program is com- already paid comes for. from comes from other people. And when I'll talk to people one on one, I'm like, look, it's not like you have to pay for this. The money's actually going to come from other people. Where does all money come from? Other, other people's people. bank accounts. Yeah. Okay. Always. And so you just haven't communicated enough value to those people to have them want to give you money. Yeah. When I that's the problem. I had Alex and Layla at my house in 2019. I was really fortunate, and well, they. That was one thing Alex told me. He was yeah. like, you know what the difference between me and you is? We both have a similar business model. It's that I, I make my clients the money back before their next payment is due. So yeah. his business model was, uh, I think it was $1,000 down. I remember exactly, but $1,000 down, nothing for 14 days, and then $500 a week for like 16 weeks or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And so in those 14 days, they would get the entire $16,000 that the gym owners would have to pay them mm-hmm. in just those 14 days. So then they could make all the additional payments. Which is why I've always loved my business because I'm in the business of making people money. So yeah. like like for now, that's why for us, we have something we call a cash campaign. It's 50K script. We launch it the day somebody works with us, like literally mm. the first day. And that usually gets at least 50% of their ROI. And we offer 100% money back guarantee on the full ROI. But yeah, and in the software world, they call it time to value, mm-hmm. which is like in when you're making an investment decision, value, quote unquote, is typically pulling out what you put in there, your investment, yeah. but like getting obsessed with time to value, identifying sticking points, minimizing sticking points, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to kind of rapid fire a few questions I have based on yeah, some yeah. of the stuff you were just talking about here. So, you know, first of all, Let's talk about the efficacy of in-person events. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this for 10 years, right? And obviously you're one Since of the best. Since 05. 05. Yeah. Okay, so more than that. 15 yeah. years. Yeah, 18 years. 18, yeah. 18 years. So you're one of the best in the world at it. Do you, Have you seen the efficacy of events go down because so many people are hosting events and pitching from stage now? Or is it the reverse where before it was kind of weird and strange to go to an event and pull out a credit card and buy money? And now because it's so socially accepted to do that, that you see it more successful now than it ever has been before? Well, the last couple of years with COVID, virtual events have been huge. And now I think there's a pushback for live events. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that's been my world. And, you know, I mean, even look at Tony, who's kind of the the goat in it. Um, I spoke at his virtual event 2020 when COVID happened. There was 24,000 people at the event online, which is huge. They just did a challenge. There was a million people there. So he only is doing one live event, but there's only about 12,000 seats. So they sell out really quick. I think people want to have that sense of connection, but also I think you need to have both. And these hybrid model where you've got an in-person event, but people can also view virtually, 
is that's where people are getting big paydays, but it takes a lot to manage that. But I think that, you know, live events, I don't think will ever go away. I think they're amazing. And every time I think that a, a niche is saturated or something like that, somebody comes along and just blows it up. I think people have a need to connect and they're willing to travel. You and I just went to uh, Cole's event last week. It was a one day mastermind, but then just to connect. Yeah. You know, and that's the main reason. I didn't even know what was going to be covered or who was going to speak. And I knew it'd be some great people like you speaking. Uh, at the same time, want to just connect. And so we all went and, and had an amazing time. And you per per perfectly segue into my second question, which was, you know, your thoughts on this hybrid model in person, online, like, are there people that are doing the full virtual that you're like, hey, they're making, because some would argue that if you can do it virtually online, it's much more leverageable, much more profitable, mm -hmm. and much less complicated. And I understand that people do want the in-person, but do you know people that are doing it full online that you're like, yeah, they've nailed it, they're pitching, and they're making the yeah. amount of money that you can make in person? Or do you still believe that you have to have that in-person element? Uh, Krista, for example, I was talking to her before, she's done $40 million in the last you know, 23, 24 months. So she's killing it. Um, she does does at least a million a month, a virtual event every month. And, you know, it's a lot on ads and all of that. So it's not it's not like there's no cost yeah, associated sure. with that. Um, but you got to market anyway. I, I think once you can dial in the virtual, it's better because yeah. you don't have to travel, hotel, all yep. of that. So I love, I love virtual. Um, I've mastered a lot of aspects of one-to-many selling. But the virtual thing is new to me. So we're going to start doing virtual events. And, you know, I've got some of these, you know, eight-figure clients. They share with me all their assets. Mm -hmm. And I teach them stuff, but I learn just as much as, as I teach them because they're showing me how they, they build it. So I have all the SOPs for how to do a, you know, a seven-figure event now from about a dozen different clients seeing what they're doing. So it's been really educational for me. And so I'm going to jump into that world myself. But live has been my thing. Yeah. And so I love it. Yeah. I think when you can connect with somebody and get a sense of their presence, and there's an energy there, I, I think that's where people get real change. And so that the question becomes, what's better? Well, the question is, what, better for what? Better for selling or better for transformation and connecting? So transformation and connecting is always in person, and I think the results come for a brand long-term as a result of transformation and connection. Yeah. People come there for that, meets their needs, and then you build a brand and people want to be part of it and they come and that's how you build it. But if you're only seeking to sell and make money, virtual can be great, but also at the same time. So it's not like I'm knocking virtual at all. If you are a new speaker or doing events for the first time, there's so much that can happen with a speaking, you know, in-person event, the hotel, flights, like extra cost. If you're trying to get your feet wet and warm up, do virtual. It just yeah. takes a $20 a month Zoom account and you get some people there and you could do an event every week. Yeah, I think that... You know, for me, speaking from personal experience, uh, the uh, in-person event is unbelievable. So let's just put money off uh, of a table here and just talk about, and we'll even put community aspect, like we'll put connection on, on the side. But I will say that for branding, yeah. it's, it's very difficult to beat an event. And it also okay. builds a moat around you, right? If you're able to throw a successful, like I'm very proud of our Scaling Systems Lives event. I think they're amazing. They're really well done. And like it kind of puts a moat around us and everybody mm -hmm. else because, you know, they're, they're a few hundred thousand dollars to put on, you know, yeah. and you that's upfront cost before you get paid back. So, you know, it kind of separates you from everybody else, builds that community aspect of it. But, you know, for anybody listening to this, I will tell you that I'm obsessed with leverage and the value of my time and the amount of energy that I have to put towards selling tickets, you know, uh, even having hiring someone full time to take care of the event, but, you know, making sure everything's on track, the actual event, preparing the stuff for the event. 
I mean, it's like a full-time job. And then you yeah. divert your entire team. And, and I did, I've done it wrong, right? In the past, I've taken my current team members and had them help me with this. And then mm -hmm. we take them from the eight-figure business to go over here and make like a million, two million dollars, which is okay. But in reality, I should hire new people. But I, I, that's why I was going to ask you that because I have like, it, it's been a balance of trying to understand which one was the, what's the right move, what's the wrong move. But I think at least once or twice, if you're a serious multi-seven, multi-eight-figure business, you need to do it. If for nothing else, just the content and the brand awareness. The content yeah. and the authority. Yeah. And if you can speak for hours on stage like you are, most people are a little envious of that because too few people can hold a group's attention for that long and provide value. It's just the way that people connect with you. And you've heard this before. They say it takes about seven hours of people consuming your content before they buy. At an event, it's all done at once yeah. and they're connecting with other people. And so it gets people a lot more connected emotionally and they're more likely to buy. So I think it's, I think it's better, you know? And then if you have people at the back of the room that are salespeople, pull people out, have conversations with everybody, it's more likely going to buy because people can hide on Zoom. Yeah. So it's going to be higher conversion, but it's really expensive. But you get the content, you get the brand authority, you get images of yourself speaking on stage. Huge. And people are like, wow. And then if you have somebody come in and make the event look good, it's great. I agree. I agree. Next question for you. Of all the events you've spoken at, been to, what's one of the, either the most embarrassing or awkward or like, you know, because I've been to some events where I see people like speaking from stage and it's just, they pitch from stage and it's just like, my heart hurts because nobody's paying attention to them. And like, I heard mm -hmm. you reference at the beginning, hecklers. So like <laughs> if someone on stage, they're like, you know, sit down. Have you ever seen anything that's like, crazy in your 18 plus years of doing events and you know it's not to be the yeah. most but one of the most the crazy things yeah i'm trying to think i mean there's so it's interesting when I, you know i worked for tony initially and i was i got good quick and then tony's son when they joined the company and tony says to his son jerry he's like you need to live with the top sales guy that was me and so they had essentially an office call out to companies in the area say hey we got two amazing speakers in your area One's this guy, Eli, he's awesome. The other's Tony Robbins' son. Who do you want? And they were like, give us Tony's son. He's going to be awesome. <laughs> so he got all the good meetings, like people with money, good real estate companies, and then all mine were like used car lots. <laughs> like the worst human beings that had never bought a book in their life, and I'm trying to sell them self-development to go to spend four days and thousands of dollars at some event that they didn't want to go to at all. And, you know, I, I recognized like some of their thoughts, and so you could mind read, but people were really resistant, and my whole career was basically selling salespeople that knew that I was there to sell that didn't want to be sold. Yeah. And so resistant all already. And so I, I figured it out pretty quick and I didn't get much of that. Initially, what would happen was because of my, my response of how I'd be, somebody might, I could tell they're resistant or they're not paying attention or whatever, and I would attack those people. And I'd be really strong. And I'd make an example of them. And sometimes too, if somebody came at me or did anything like that, I would destroy them emotionally in front of the room. Give me a, give me an example of what that is. What, what do you do in that example? Somebody not paying attention. I'm like, where does it show up in your life that you can't, like, this is for you. Like, are you, you not showing up here? You can't show up to your family or just, I would say something to them or they would say something. You're just, they'd have an energy. What I learned how to do was to frame. So let's say, so I, I would create all these content bits in my talk. So there's, there's a lot of things I did, but let's say I've got, a room full of car lot people or real estate people, and there's that guy. I can sense right away who that guy's going to be, but I'll talk about the fact that we as a company, I believe rising tides raise all ships, and we're only as strong as our weakest link. If somebody comes into this office every day and you think they know, they think they know everything, they kind of got a bad attitude, you know that person, and I'll look right at them. That person, how they show up here at this company, do they lower the standard for everybody here? 
they lower the vibe, they lower the energy. That person is actually having a negative effect on your income. Do you guys see that? But if somebody shows up here every single day, passionate, excited, hungry, given they're all playing full out, that person raises the standard. That person's actually making it more exciting to be here. That person's raising your income. Do you guys follow me? And so I'm getting them to realize, so I'm going to turn the audience against that person. Because they all so, know who in the mind who that yep. person is. Imagine somebody comes in here and they think they know everything. They're just kind of, kind of a jerk. And I'll look right at the person. That person, based on how they show up here, do they actually lower the standard for everybody else? That person's lowering your income. So again, we're only as strong as our weakest link. And I believe we have a responsibility to be the strongest link for each other. So here's what I want you to do. Grab the person next to you, look at them and say, I'm going to be the strongest link for you. And they say it and it's funny and there's a laugh. So it's pressure release, pressure release. But I, at first I would, somebody would say something and I would just be really direct. And like a lot of salespeople that are big on objection handling, that's how I was. I wanted to get all of them out early and then I would just handle them. So I would say, well, would you go to the event? Would you buy if it was free? Would you go to the event if it was free? People say, yeah. I'm like, well, why would you go? Like, your time's not free. And I would challenge them and I would dig into them or I would tell a story or I would connect with them in a way and I'd get really emotional. I was an actor before too. And then we'd create this emotional connection and we could resolve it. But I would end up often closing the entire room when people were really resistant to me. Wow. One, because they saw how I showed up, I wasn't willing to back down. And the boss would be like, man, this guy has got some balls. Like this guy's going right at everybody. They're like, and I'm like, yeah, come to the event. Uh, we're going to show you how everybody else can do the same thing I'm doing right now. And so I was playful. I was warm. I was certain. But, you know, initially I was like, if somebody was really a jerk, I was like, well, screw that guy. And then I had the shift in my own mind. I was like, well, that person needs it the most. That person has had some experiences in the past where his expectations weren't met. He was let down and now he's resistant and he's guarded and he's negative. That person needs my compassion and my certainty and my my, my connection and my understanding and empathy the most. So I'm going to, you know, call him out, but call him out in a loving way. Because I'm like, you know, this isn't who you are. This is who you've become. You've learned to be this way, but it's no longer serving you. And we're going to create a juicy moment and I'll take him through a process. Then and everybody in the audience is like, whoa, that was powerful. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll dress it right on if there's any of that. I love that. Yeah. Wow, that's that's crazy. But I, but I tell people, once I, once I got it, you know, because I was looking for it, because I wanted that challenge, I tell people it's like, if two people are walking down a street and there's a dog at the end of the street that's like, you know, like hates people, one person's scared to death of dogs, the dog's going to attack that person. You can smell the fear. But if you're the person like, oh, give me that puppy and like, you know, and just like the dog is going to be scared of you. Sure. Like people can smell it. And so I was so committed to getting better. Like I was just wanting challenges. And so because I wanted challenges and I was looking at people with crazy eyes, like, let's go. Like, what do you got? And people, and I was excited to dig into it people because I knew it was going to help them. That energy and that certainty and that intention, I think alleviated a lot for it. It's a lot for me. And then the other speakers that work for Tony, I would critique all of them. A lot of them got a, you know, heckled and stuff like that. And I'd be like, that's just you. I was like, that has nothing to do with what you're saying. It doesn't have to do with Tony. It's just you. It's your fear. You're creating that. And I didn't have that. You know, I did probably my first few months, but I just did everything I could to condition myself out of it right away. Final question for you here. You've had the unique ability or opportunity to be probably part of a very small group of people who have spent an enormous amount of time with Tony. And I have a lot of respect for Tony. I know you do as well, what he's been able to build. And I think what he's, he's almost built an industry uh, yeah. on his back, you know? And so like, what's one of the biggest lessons or things you've learned from him, either directly him telling you, or just the way that you seeing him show up in this certain area that you try to embody yourself uh, on either a day-to-day -day basis or in your business? 
You know, it's there's that whole self-development phrase, whatever you focus on expands. I'll never forget, I, I worked for Tony for a few years. I left the company, I got back into acting. I ended up getting really sick, like put in the hospital, all these bad things happened. Actually, 2010, I came back to work for him. I worked half the week for Tony and I laid in bed or a hospital bed the other half the week. I worked less than half as much as everybody else, but I broke every sales record in the company. He created an award in my name. He took me to Fiji for a week and I got to ask him like, all these just dumb questions about anything, but he was so kind, so sincere, so compassionate. And he just would ask me all these things and he'd let me text him and ask him these questions. And it was, it was just great. But once we came back from the first cycle, I remember I was, I was in LA and he had this new project that we were putting out there and I was to, to kind of head it. And I think he could feel my apprehension with this whole new project. And he reminded me of that concept of whatever you focus on expands. And he said, Eli, at the end of the day, you have the results that you're committed to or you have the reasons why you don't. You can have one or the other, results or reasons. I'm going to follow up with you in a couple of weeks and I'll know where your mind was at. If you're focused on results, there'll be lots of results. But if you focus on all the reasons why it can't work, you're going to come to me with excuses. I'll know where your mind's at. I'll talk to you soon. And so I think of that so often as I'm creating something, what am I more committed to, the reasons or the results? And the more that I focus on the results and commit to the results, the more results I get. It's like a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. So it's just something that kind of plays in my mind a lot. Well, very, very good. Yeah, I think even myself, I, I struggle with that. And I also am very well aware, uh, even almost like your self-identity and speaking that into existence as well. And uh, something that I'm trying to work on as well. Eli, awesome podcast my man it's been a blast having you Likewise. on here I, I was excited for this like i said in the beginning because you've mastered something in the nlp communication space plus the online sales with the experience that nobody else has that i was really excited to dive deeper into which i think we've done a good job on this podcast here so i can't thank you enough if people are listening to this right now and they want to follow you online learn a little bit more about you maybe they're hosting events or they want to work on their sales creating their story uh, some of the nlp that you were talking about earlier what's the best place people can find you uh wild influence w-i-l-d-e influence.com is the website and then just facebook and instagram Wild in Eli Wild underscore sales on Instagram and just Eli Wild on Facebook. And I'm active on Facebook every day. So that's that's me. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. We'll drop all that in the show notes down for you guys to access and we'll see you in the next episode.